Hey there, welcome to the Inclusion Solution Live. I am your season six host, Marisha Reese, and this season is from Empower to Me Power, BIPOC Leadership Conversations. I'm so happy to have you here on this journey with me. And in case you missed it, this season, we're talking about some of the unique challenges that BIPOC leaders face, especially in dominant group spaces and how they use their innate power, that me power, to thrive. It is a pleasure to welcome my guest today, Dr. Robert Rodriguez. Dr. Robert Rodriguez is the founder and president of DRR Advisors, LLC, a diversity consulting firm. He has helped over 500 companies with their diversity initiatives. Many consider him to, the, to be the nation's leading expert in both Latino talent management initiatives and employee resource groups. Previously, he held corporate leadership roles at 3M, Target, British Petroleum, and the Washington Post. Dr. Rodriguez holds a doctorate in organizational development and has taught leadership courses at Harvard University, Southern Methodist University, the University of Southern California, and Stanford University. He is the author of three books, including Latino Talent, Atentico, and Employee Resource Group Excellence. He serves on the board of trustees for the National Museum of Mexican Art and is on the advisory council for the Hispanic Scholarship Fund. He presented at the World Economic Forum, Forum in Davos, Switzerland in 2020 and will speak again at the event in 2024. He resides in Chicago. Welcome to the show, Dr. Rodriguez. Oh, thank you. I'm excited to be here. Excited to, excited to reconnect with you. We've been friends for you know, a long, long time. Never had the pl pleasure of doing a, a, a podcast. So uh, excited to, not, not just to be with you, but to support the effort uh, and to have a, a good conversation. So greetings. I, I'm, I'm glad to be here. Thank you. I'm so excited as well. So by way of further introduction, so those of you that have listened to this season of the podcast know that I like to start with our I am statements to share a little bit more about the, in, the intersecting identities that we bring to the conversation. And so at the Winters Group, we like to use this a lot so that people could understand that and un, better understand some of the lived experiences that we bring. So I will model it for um, you, Dr. Rodriguez, and then invite you to share, um, share the same. So I am a Black cisgender, able-bodied woman. I'm a Zennial. So that's the cusp yeah. of millennial and Gen X. Okay. I think okay. I lean more towards Gen X. Maybe okay. some days I, you know, fall in the millennial, but yeah. I lean a little more Gen X. I am an introvert. Um, I'm a wife, a daughter, a sister, a dog mom, and I am a current um, su Southerner. So living in the Southeast United States, but was born and raised in the Northeast United States. All right. So, Dr. Rodriguez, I invite you to share your oh, idea. Oh, uh, uh, let's see. Okay, so I am a uh, white uh, Mexican-American, uh, Hispanic, uh, uh, living in the Midwest. I am a husband. I am a son. I am a brother. Uh, I am a father to two, uh, to two boys. Uh, now, I'm, not only am I a dog dad, but I also am a dog granddad, I guess. My son has <laughs> a, a, a dog. Uh, I, I claim uh, uh, to be a Texan because I was born in Texas, but I'm uh, probably better known as a Midwesterner because I, I grew up uh, in the, the Midwest and I am very excited to be here. So hopefully 
uh, that helps cover some of my IMs. I love that. Wonderful, wonderful. And I'm sure your son's glad you mentioned that you are a dog granddad. Yeah, right? yeah. How well, important the dog children are. Yeah, I think that's the I think that's the term, a dog, a dog granddad. I I, sounds, I don't know. Sounds good to me. Out. Yeah, yes. <laughs> Perfect. So thank you so much for sharing that. So I would like um, if we could open up and have you just share a little bit more about your story, your background and experience and how that led you into the work that you do today. Uh, oh, yeah. It, uh, and it, actually, it's, it's directly linked to kind of the career I've chosen. So, so my parents are originally from Mexico, a city called Matamoros uh, in the Tamaulipas state of Mexico. Uh, they immigrated to the U.S., became uh, citizens and settled in Texas. Uh, and that's where I was born. So I was born in Lubbock, Texas, so up uh, mm -hmm. by the Panhandle. So that's why I say, you know, soy tejano. I am uh, a Texan. Uh, but even though I was born in Texas, you know, I don't know if you know this. I grew up in Minnesota. I still got that Minnesota mm -hmm. accent. Mm -hmm. I heard it. Me. I heard it. <laughs> uh, and, and how that came to be is, you know, my, my family and I, we were migrant workers, right? So we used to come from Texas up to like Michigan to, to work the cherry fields. Mm -hmm. You know, we used to go to North Dakota for sugar beets, kind of that field work. And then one year, my dad found a, a job as as a welder uh, in in Minneapolis or in St. Paul. Uh, so we moved to St. Paul and and set out some roots, and that's where I grew up. So, uh, what, so what's interesting is that makes me one of those few Latinos that you know, hablo español, but I can also ice skate, ice fish, <laughs> snowshoe, and snowmobile, and do all those things. But but how that background led to my work is. Uh, you know, Minnesota's uh, a great place to live, great place to raise a family. But like back in the 1970s when I was growing up, th th there wasn't a large Hispanic Latino community uh, in the greater Twin Cities. So I, so I struggled a bit with my sense of, of identity. My, my parents were well-intentioned, but some of their messages to me were, oye, mijo, you know, don't speak Spanish. You know, uh, we don't want you to have an accent, you know, just go play hockey with the Anglo kids. Uh, you know, we don't want you to get picked on. We don't want you to get in fights. So, you know, th th they had my interest at heart and, and I'm like, okay, you know what? So I, I, growing up, I never denied my heritage. You know, I, you know, I was still proud of it. I just, I didn't give it that full throttle embrace, right? You know, um, you know, it, it was just something, you know, kind of growing up and, and, and it was fine, high school, college. Uh, but when I got to corporate America, that's when it started to feel like something was off, right? Mm -hmm. You know, um, yeah, I, I didn't see a lot of other Latinos at, at some of the early companies I was with. Um, but, but fortunately for me, uh, some of those co companies had ERG. So I joined the Latino ERGs and that's what really started opening my eyes to this whole issue of identity in the workplace, right? You know, I, I didn't want to be treated uh, differently. I, I didn't want to get, you know, special treatment, but uh, I did want, you know, the company to acknowledge that, hey, you know, Robert is Latino and, and I need to be more comfortable doing that, you know, myself. So, uh, so when I decided to go, my, go get my doctorate, uh, my doctoral dissertation was on the Latino experience in corporate America, right? I, mm -hmm. I wanted to explore that phenomenon because I figured, well, if if I'm like, you know, you know, I, I don't know if struggling is the right word, but there's definitely some some things that I felt I had to contend with that my, you know, white, you know, non-Hispanic colleagues didn't. 
uh, I figured, well, I had to do that than, than others. And then, so when that book came out, so that's, that's the Latino talent book. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That book was published in 2008. Um, companies started calling, right? Like, Hey, Robert, we were, you know, you talked in here about, you know, Latino identity and the Latino culture script can, you know, could, we could use your help. So, so over the years, you know, I was still in corporate America at the time, but over the years, um, yeah, I figure, well, you know, there's definitely a need uh, for organizations who want just a much more textured understanding of and appreciation for the experience of, of Latino professionals in the workplace in the hopes that they could create conditions that will nurture, you know, the success yeah. of their Hispanic professionals. So, yeah, I've been doing this work, you know, for 20 some years. Uh, and, and, and the ERG part be came from being a member of an ERG, right? Because uh, once I joined the Latino ERG, all of a sudden I was part of a community. I, I met folks who are like-minded. I met people who are unapologetically proud to be Latino. Yeah. Like, they're like, oh my gosh, like you can do that at work. And they're like, yeah, you can. So I always thought you kind of had to like downplay, right? Right. Um, so, so ERGs in general just provided me a very solid platform upon which I built a, a nice career. And then the Latino aspect, you know, it's, it's funny. I'm still learning uh, a lot about Latino identity. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so I'm continuing to be on that journey, but yeah, that's what has led me to this, you know, kind of consulting work where I help companies with their Latino or their ERG uh, initiatives. Uh, it was, you know, based on that experiences growing up. Beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, so I want to talk a little bit, you know, we're talking about the identity and we're talking about, um, you know, you use the terms Latino and Hispanic. And I know yeah. it's been a lot of talk around the link, like the terms to use when identifying um, Hispanic or Latino and Latina mm -hmm. individuals. And so the Winners Group team wrote a book, Racial Justice at Work. And in that book, we decided to use Latine as the term. We went back mm -hmm. and forth, you know, Latinx, Latine, sure. what we use. And so we chose to use that one um, because, you know, it's gender neutral um, and in an effort to hopefully disrupt gender bias. And so yes. I wanted to just get your take and also to make sure that I'm, um, I know what you prefer, you know, yeah. and all of that. So What's your take on the, the language of using Latinx versus Latina versus Latino, Latina? And um, and I think it's important for our listeners too, right? Because folks listening that may be in leadership sure. and, have, and lead people, you know, that have um, a similar background as yours just might not even understand that themselves. Yeah. So I would love to hear your take on the whole. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and yeah, and I get that question uh, a lot. So, so yeah. My preference, you know, for me mm -hmm. is the Latino and Latina. That's what I tend to use most often. Uh, that's what I've used throughout my my career. Uh, but but I have a, a great deal of respect and admiration and acknowledgement for folks who prefer Latin or, or Latinx. I know some of us prefer Hispanic. Some folks say, "Well, I, I'm Mexican," or you know, "I'm Venezuelan." Right? right? Um, so, so the the part that I, for me, has been a distraction a little bit is when, when we try to identify, you know, what's the best term, right? You know, I, mm -hmm. I, I think we all have preferences, right? right? And, and I think as long as we acknowledge and say, hey, I prefer this one, you prefer that one, great. If you want me to call you that, I will. But, but what I've seen a little bit, at least in our community, is 
when I've seen some folks like, oh, why are you using Latinx? That's not even a word. How dare you? you know, that's not right. I'm like, like, wait a minute. Like, who are you mm-hmm. to tell another member of our community what what's right or isn't? So, you know, I so that's some of the conversation I get into. It's like, hey, you know, whatever term you prefer, I'll, I'll use that term. Uh, I may have a different term that I prefer, uh, but I'm never going to say your term is wrong, mine is right, or mine's better, yours is worse. Uh, and, and that's where I think the distraction has been, uh, at least in our community, where folks are like, you know, telling others within our community what, what's appropriate. So, uh, yeah, I, I love that you use Latin. Uh, I support it. I endorse it. Uh, but, but if you see it in my books, I tend to prefer that. Yeah. So I, I think as long as there isn't a hierarchy, right. um, yeah, I, I think that's where it gets distracted. Now, for our non-Hispanic allies, yeah, I can see how I'm like, oh my God, Robert, I'm supposed to know right. them all. <laughs> yeah, no, I, yeah, I, but I think that's where we can, you know, have those constructive conversations, right? right. Or those crucial conversations or build those bridges of understanding and say, hey, you know, I, you know, I, I've been using the term Latinx. Are, is that how you identify? Do you prefer that I use, you know, a, a different term? Then you can kind of, you know, create that. But yeah, you know, I don't know if there's a best term. Uh, I support them all. Uh, but I, I just hope that uh, those in our community or outside of our community don't try to tell others what they should or shouldn't call themselves. I, I think that's the part that I don't agree with. Yeah, and thank you for that. And I, I do think it's definitely an educational opportunity, like you said, to yeah. learn more about and to to respect other right. So if you yeah. prefer a term, that's the term I'm going to use with you versus yeah. right trying to. And I think that's an important concept just in general as we think about, especially those groups that are more um, traditionally underrepresented. And that like you should. That's the part of getting to be the yeah. ally, right? And getting to learn and understand. And so um, thank you for that. It was very, very well, helpful. Yeah, and and, and you know, if I get digress a little bit, it's in a little bit. For maybe our non-Hispanic allies on the call, you know, we, we have seen uh, a little bit in, in my community, the Hispanic, Latino, Latin, Latinx community, something that I would call the intra-Latino divides, hmm. right? That there's certain, because of the diversity in our community, you know, we haven't always come together. And the, and the latest manifestation of that has been the, the use of terms, mm-hmm. right? You know, right, wrong, yes, no. But we've seen it in the past based on race, right? Yeah. You know, there, there's some Hispanics who are blonde hair and blue eyes. Right. Sometimes they, you know, look down on Afro-Latinos. We have folks who may be Afro-Latinos who look down on those who are indigenous in our community. So we've seen it from a race perspective. Mm. We've seen it from a nationality perspective. Like, oh, you're Mexican? I'm from Argentina. Like, like yeah, yeah we've seen it a little bit from that perspective. We've seen it from uh, birthplace Oh yeah, you immigrated here. I was born here. Mm. See that way, uh, we've seen it based on language. You know, I you know over the years, even though I do a lot of work for the Latino community, I've had some folks say like, "Well, Robert, you know, you're not a real Latino, porque no hablas español muy bien." Like, I, I speak Spanish, but I'm not fluent. Right. And I'll get some folks to say, "Well, then you're not like a real Latino because you can't read and write it." I'm like, uh, so we've seen it that way. Uh, and then the, 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 the other ones, and this is one of the things I talk about in the book, um, is the sense of identity. Because there are some of us who are unapologetically proud to let be Latino. We shout it from the rooftop. and like, yeah. Right. And there's others like, yeah, I'm, I'm Latino, but it's 
not the only way they identify. Like there's other things about me and, and that's one of them, but that's not the one, right? Um, so, so in our community, we've seen some of that, those differences instead of leveraging that diversity to strengthen us, uh, mm-hmm. we, we've been letting it divide us a little bit. And, and the latest manifestation, like I said earlier, is, has been the, the terminology. I'm like, that's why I see it as a distraction. Like there's, yeah. you know, instead of leveraging it, I'm like, yeah, let's use all the terms. Right. We're over here fighting over which one's better. Sounds better. Uh, yeah. And it's something that uh, I don't know if you've seen in, in other communities, but it's something that, you know, I'm hoping to try to mitigate uh, that in, in ours. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for that. So I wanted to switch to um, one of your books, um, but so I know the statistics, the statistics show that um, by 20. 2050, mm-hmm. it's estimated that Latinos and Latinas will make up one third of the workforce. Yeah. And I think, um, I think in your book, and I, is it authentic? Because I'm see, okay. I took Spanish in school, Dr. Yeah, Rodriguez, yeah, yeah, yeah. many moons ago. So I'm like, I want to pronounce it right. Yeah, yeah, authentico, uh, you know, you know, you know, yes. yeah, more of the Spanish. You know, my son's like, Dad, you're not even saying it. I'm like, well, oh, <laughs> authentico, right? Yeah, uh, uh, but yeah, you know, authentico is is how okay. it's uh, mostly authentico, pronounced. Authentico, yeah. and um, I think you called it. So the the senior leaders only make up five percent of um. Latinos only make yeah. up 5% of leadership, and you all call it the 5% shame, I think, yeah. or something, right? Yeah. And that's a book you co-authored with um, Andreas Tapia, yeah. Yeah. He's also right. a friend of ours here yes. at the Winters Group. And so in the book, you talk about you know the impact of the external forces of conscious and unconscious bias yeah. and internal forces of whether to assimilate and double down. And I loved how yeah. you shared your story early on, how even your parents were like, no, Robert, you got to yeah. assimilate, you got to yeah. you know, fit in. And so just um, if you want to share a little bit more about the book, what led you both to write it, and then what you also hope readers get from, from reading it. Yeah, you know what, you know, the, the, the goal was, was twofold. One is for our non-Hispanic allies who wanted to um, get a bit more informed, that they would give them a, a much more textured understanding of and appreciation for kind of the experiences of, of Latinx professionals. You know, what are, you know, what are some of those headwinds that, uh, you know, they, they, they face in the workplace? What are some aspects about their cultural that can definitely be a superpower, uh, but if misinterpreted, could be seen as, as a weakness, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so we wanted to, to, to educate not only our non-Hispanic allies, but, you know, our community as well. Uh, but, but the focus was much more on, you know, upward mobility and promotional velocity to say, hey, what, you know, what traits, what, you know, competencies should Latino professionals, you know, you know, try to, you know, master that might help them move up within the the, the mm-hmm. organization. So it's, it's kind of a, a bit educational for, for many communities, but a, a bit more kind of a roadmap, playbook, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it to say, hey, this is, you know, if you do, if you master these capabilities, it should help with your uh, career enhancement, um, but but that was edition one, and, and we got a lot of positive feedback. But now it's you know we're in the second edition. Mm. And we you know some of the feedback that we got was well, Robert, it's great, but how come it's not in Spanish? And we're like, yeah, uh. so, like, we should have put it in Spanish. And we put it in Spanish. Uh, some folks, you know, they like to like Robert. What are the four steps, and where are the three things? They, so then we ended up creating a you know uh, a workbook for it and, and then now it's even an audible which which you know mm-hmm. it's, it's always weird somebody else reading your, your stuff yeah, but, yeah. Um, 
but 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 yeah, you know that that was uh, the goal from it. For, you know, for me, quite honestly, the most uh, I don't want to say interesting, but the funnest chapter for me to kind of work on and write and, and co-author up onto this was the comparison, the compare and contrast between the Latino community and the Black African American community, right? Because a lot of things that we often heard was folks saying, well, if we were just more like the black community, we'd be able to like, ah, and I'm like, so we looked at them like, well, how come we're not more like them? And, and what, what could we learn from them? And, and one of the key findings is in our book was, you know, we can learn from the black community. We can partner with our black African-American BIPOC colleagues, but we as a Latino community, we need to find our own path mm-hmm. that there's certain aspects about, you know, black culture that, that serve you well, that, aren't the same for Latinos, right? Mm-hmm. So that's why we can't just copy what our communities do, but we can definitely learn from that. That was for me a, a re- really insightful, really fun to write. And, and even in writing, I learned a lot about like, yeah, we, we need to find our own path for our community. We can learn from others, but we need our own path. Yeah, thank you for that. And kind yeah. of, um, I guess, continuing in some of that. So, you know, thinking about the cultural differences, right? Yes. And so when you think about, um, leaders and organizations who are typically white male. Yeah. Um, and so, right. And so they may be leading folks from the um, Latino and Latina community. So what are some, and not the stereotype or whatever, but what are some of those cultural differences that you think are important to highlight so that leaders understand, um, especially with their Latino and Latina employees? Yeah. And, and, as well as our own community to understand. Too, yeah, right? true, um, true, so, true. so, you know, that's, we call it the, the Latino cultural script. And so, so like you mentioned, you're not a stereotype. Yeah. As I mentioned, these, not every Latino has these characteristics, but I would say they're, they're an archetype, right? It, it, these, mm-hmm. we tend to over index on these things. So for example, one of the things based on our Hispanic heritage and our culture and our upbringing is that we tend to be more collectivist in nature. So that means we tend to focus on, you know, what's best for the team, what's best for the group, what's mm-hmm. best for the family over kind of what's best for me as an individual, right? So it's more of a we mentality versus an I mentality, right? So uh, so again, so when we talk about it, we don't say it's good or bad, but we do outline that in certain scenarios, that tendency tends to be very useful. We tend to be awesome team players. We tend to work well with others. So in those situations, like, yeah, let's lean into it. But in other scenarios, that collectivist approach sometimes leads people to say, well, they're not a leader. They're, they're a good team player, but they're not a leader. You know, some of us even have difficulty talking about it. So, you know, for example, when we interview and they say, well, Robert, what are your biggest accomplishments? Well, my team did this and our group did this. And, and so, 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 so someone who's not, you know, informed can say, well, Robert must be some sort of freeloader. He apparently never did anything, right? Um, as opposed to someone who's more culturally competent and inclusive that says, okay, that might be more of a cultural thing that he describes accomplishments based on the team of which he's a part of and big, uh, and over, you know, it just doesn't come as, you know, natural for him to speak about himself. So, so, you know, that's one fatalism is another one. So, you know, there's a, uh, a study that take, came out, you know, a couple of years ago in the Pew uh, Hispanic Research Center that said almost up to 42% of Hispanics in the U.S. feel like 
you know, like it doesn't do any good to plan for the future. Like, you know, the future is what it is. It's, it's not like we have a destiny, but it's things change, things evolve. So, so, so having that mindset from a, a useful thing, you know, we, we adapt to change real quickly. If, if we put together this five stage plan and it doesn't work out, like, okay, we just pivot. And, um, but others, when they look at that, they may say, well, Robert, you know, what do you want to do in 10 years? I'm like, 10 years. I don't know. I, I know what I want to do tomorrow, but 10 years. Uh, but you compare that to other communities like, well, I'm going to go to B, uh, Ivy League B school and then go work in consulting, then go do international assignment, then go do this. So that way I can get that you know, C-suite job. So a lot of Latinos don't think that way, right? So uh, again, not good, not bad, but sometimes it's useful. Sometimes it's not as useful. So within our community, we need to understand, but that's where our non-Hispanic allies yeah. Uh, uh, can can understand that, but but the one thing that we do caution of, particularly when it comes to kind of cultural traits, uh, you know, whether it's uh, for me leading a workshop or consulting a company or, or teaching one of my courses, is we never want to convey to Hispanics and Latinos that that we're broke, right? Um, because you know what? Sometimes when some of these companies call me now. They don't say it this way, right? But but the implied message is, oh, yeah, Robert, come on in and fix those Latinos, would you? Like mm. if they were just more assertive, if they just tooted their own horn better, if they just spoke up more often, if they just did this, 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 if they just did that, then we'd be all fine. And and, and so fix them. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I ain't fixing anybody. You know, right. We're not broke right now. Right, exactly. We benefit from professional development? Absolutely. But but I'm finding that the clients that I worked with, the ones that really get it are the ones that are saying, Robert, help us. Help, right, exactly. Help us create the conditions that will nurture the success. I'm not just this community, but all you know, folks from you know, our, our all BIPOC community. So, because then what they're saying themselves is, how can I be more culturally competent mm -hmm. as an interviewer? How can I be a more inclusive leader? Um, and I just had a, a, an amazing conversation with a client I worked with in 2023, um, and there's actually an academic term for it. It's called homo social reproduction. I love I love the term. Uh, it's kind of coined by Rosabeth Moss Cantor at Harvard University. But 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 here's how here's how it plays out. So if you get a white executive, white white let's just say white male, mm -hmm. uh, he's looking to you know hire a white vice president, and he interviews a Latina. All right, so I'm like let's talk to Maria. Okay, Maria. You know, good experience. Oh, good education. Wonderful performance reviews. Oh, ooh, look, Maria hasn't done this. You know, I don't want to lower my standards, right? So, hey, I love Maria, but she's not ready. Okay. Good. But then they go interview Peter, you know, <laughs> white guy who kind of looks like him. Mm -hmm. Like, Peter, good experience. Good education. You know, that's good reviews. Huh. You know, Peter hasn't done this, but you know what? I think he'll figure it out. You yeah. know, I didn't I didn't know it when I got the job. You know, it'll be a stretch assignment for him. So so at that subconscious level, they tend to give the benefit of the doubt to people who are more like them. And we're all we all have this infliction, right? You might do that more to a black female, I might do that more to a Latino, or it's more unconscious, but it starts adding up. Uh, so I think making our leaders aware that those biases exist, mm -hmm. that it's not always a level playing field, I, I think helps them to make sure that they have talent management systems that try to mitigate some of those 
uh, obstacles and headwinds that certain communities face. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That was really that was on the test later. Homosocial reproduction. <laughs> I know. I was I was about to ask you how you spell it because it was right <laughs> But thank you for that. Yeah. Um, so I'm sure. So you already we talked about the the lack of senior leaders, um, yeah. Latino senior leaders, right? And so I'm sure you hear this in your consulting that yeah. you do as well. That oh, we can't find any. Well, you know what? diverse or BIPOC candidate, we yeah. can't find any Latino candidates to fill the role. So, and we know that's not true. So, and you yeah. kind of gave also, you just yeah. gave an example of how that works, but how do you respond when your clients come to you and like, well, you know, Robert, we just, we can't find the people, you know, we're trying to fill these roles, we can't find them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so it's, it's funny. And, and I guess it's, you know, there's certain, certain clients I have this conversation with, but you know, some of them it's like, uh, you know, Robert, we're just not, you know, we can't find the talent within our organization. Um, so I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's because you you, you have, uh, you know, stupid Hispanics for you, working for you. And he's like, they're like, what? Like, yeah, you, you, your Latinos aren't very good. What are you talking about? Well, yeah, because, you know, they're just not a player. So that's why. And they're like, we never said that. I'm like, really? Uh, well, you have a meritocracy here, right? Yes. Only the best and brightest get promoted, right? Absolutely. And your systems are colorblind and gender neutral, right? Of course. Well, if you have this many Latinos, then they're deficient. <laughs> right. And, and they never like, no, I don't accept that. Okay. Then it must be something else, right? right. So then that's when they start looking at, is it uh, an issue on recruiting? Like, are we, are we weeding out people because of, you know, unconscious bias or, you know, stereotypes that we may have? You know, are we not moving people up because we're not giving them the benefit of the doubt like we do others? Uh, another big one that, you know, folks, you know, in BIPOC communities experience all the time is we tend to be over-mentored and under-sponsored, hmm. right? We, we tend to have a lot of people talking to us saying, you right. should do this and you should go get that degree or you should get, uh, great. But in those talent reviews, we don't always have people talking about us. Right. And say, hey, Robert should get that promotion or money. Um, so they look, hey, yeah, maybe we don't sponsor one. You know, one, one that recently came up um, that I found based on some work is that uh, we're finding companies, like when they do identify a, you know, a BIPOC individual who's performing well, moving up to say, well, yeah, let's, let's give them a promotion, but let's put them more in a staff role. Mm. I think they'd be good in corporate communications. I think she'd be good in government affairs, right? And again, I don't want to marginalize those roles. Those roles are right. important. But oftentimes those roles don't have profit and loss responsibility, right? They're not running a business. So then these folks move up, they get to a certain level. But then when it's time to fill the C-suite, they're like, I love Robert, but Robert's never run a business. Mm -hmm. Well, that's mm -hmm. because that's where you steered me towards, you idiot. Like, you know, it's <laughs> so so some of the work that you know, when they say that we can't find the talent. Now, of course, you know, we can look at recruiting. So, but it's, 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 you know, having them take a look within their organization, say, are, you know, are our talent management systems, are the systems, the way that we identify high performers and high potentials, uh, the way we rank people, whatever you want to call it, is, is, is that off? And, and then that way it becomes a both and approach, right? You know, we're, you know, within the community, we're enhancing skills, all these leadership development programs, or help them recruit the talent, but then their systems hopefully are 
you know, at least try to take away as much of the bias as possible. They're never going to be totally bias free, but right. companies are more willing to look at that when I tell them that they have dumb Hispanics. <laughs> They're like, what? Yeah, 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 I love yeah, how you guys yeah, love that. Because, yeah, um, yeah. yeah, I take They're like, wait a minute, we didn't say that, Robert. But um, I do yeah. think that the system is looking at those systems and mm-hmm. where they're right, there may be gaps or things broken. And then also, as you even touched on earlier, just that education for leaders. Sure. And learning more about other cultures, people different from the ones that look just like them, um, yeah. better understand. I want to um, pivot to ERGs because I always mm-hmm. uh, when I think of you, I think of you as the ERG guru. Um, you talked about question. ERGs at, at the yeah. top of the um, call as well as that. Have that's something that kind of when you started in your in um in the working world, mm-hmm. you joined the ERG and it really um, helped you. And so. I know you've created um, the 4C ERG assessment mm-hmm. model, which measures ERG effectiveness. Yep. So if you um, don't mind just taking a couple minutes to share more about that model, but also share the role that ERGs play in development of talent, but specifically the talent underrepresented groups. So Latino yeah. talent addition. Yeah. 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 So, so the, all the 4C model kind of, stands for its basic premise is that anything employee resource groups do can fall into one of four pillars right and or the four c's right so uh so some of you know some of their initiatives are more career related right hey how do i help my members get better skills how do i provide them additional competencies things that are designed to help their members with career advancement so that's the first pillar the second pillar is culture you know maybe they're helping to create a more inclusive culture within their company. They're looking to dispel myths, to, to raise awareness about what's it like to be a Latino in the workplace, right? So let's celebrate Hispanic heritage. So they're, they're looking at cultural competency within a company. Uh, the third pillar is commerce, right? Hey, are we a business resource group? You know, we don't want to be just a food flag and fun folks, mm-hmm. right? Not marginalizing that, that that's important. But also, are they helping the company reach their goals? Are they helping to penetrate certain markets? Can they help identify, you know, you know, minority or BIPOC-owned businesses that can be suppliers? So there's that commerce piece, and then the fourth pillar is that community, right? Like, hey, are, you know, are we building a sense of community? And then also, can we help our company with you know supporting nonprofits that reflect the communities that we represent? So, career, community, culture, and commerce. So that's the four C. So what? What I argue is that uh, those employee resource groups that tend to have sustainable long-term success over time tend to have strong initiatives in each pillar. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But it is over time. It, it is right. a, a bit aggressive for us to say, we're going to do all this really co- cool career stuff and culture stuff and commerce. And, you know, so you kind of have to, you know, sometimes yeah. divide and conquer. <laughs> but but that's what the 4C model advocates for it. And the, and the reason it's, I, I think it's become one of the most commonly used frameworks in corporate America for ERGs is, is because it advocates for that holistic approach, right? And right. then the assessment just measures how the ERGs do in each one of those things. But but when you when we look at kind of the, the, the career, you know, aspect of it, and this is some of the, the great work that Latino ERGs have been doing in particular, if, if we focus on that community, um, is sometimes, you know, those being a leader in an ERG in and of itself provides some members with leadership experiences they may not get in their day job, right? So if you're an individual contributor, 
but you become the chair of the Hispanic ERG. Now you're you're developing a strategy, you're managing a budget, you're putting together a strategic plan, you have a team that reports to you, uh, and you're rubbing elbows with all these executives you may not. So so there's that, you know, that there's that leadership experience you get from being ERG. So that sometimes helps with career advancement. That that visibility and exposure, I think, is huge. Right. You know, because now you're meeting people not just within your department or not just within your uh, function or business unit, but across multiple functions. And you get to, you know, rub elbows with, with top leaders. So so we've seen that ERGs you know, can help from a career perspective due to that you know, advanced you know, capability and, and uh, ex- exposure. And then finally, this is kind of what's led to some of this work is you know, ERGs are starting to create those affinity-based programs. So we've seen the Black ERG say, hey, right. we want to do a program specifically for Black employees that looks at, you know, Black culture and, and race uh, and how that influences how we show up as leaders. We've seen that with the Pride groups, LGBTQ+. We've seen that for women's groups for many years now. So uh, the ERGs have oftentimes saying, hey, we know the experiences of folks in our community. We know the types of development that we might need. uh, And we also know how to look at that development with a cultural lens. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then lately, just as as I wrap that up, uh, is, you know, they're helping to put together uh, workshops for the for the allies. Right. To say, Mm -hmm. hey, here's uh, here's a way, you know, here's insights that you need to have uh, so you can be a stronger ally. And in fact, they're they're teaching allies to, to focus more on the word as a verb. Like, hey, this is how we can feel your allyship as opposed to a focus on the noun. Hey, I'm an ally to Latinos. I'm like, oh, right. great. Good for you. Like, I'm glad you proclaim it. But how am I feeling that allyship? You know, what are you doing? Uh, we're seeing ERGs kind of drive some of that. Yeah. So, I, uh, yeah, uh, I, I think wholeheartedly ERGs can help elevate one's uh, visibility, capability, and promotability. It, it happened for me. It's happened for, you know, thousands, tens of thousands of others that I've seen. So. Uh, I, I think they play a critical role. Beautiful. Thank you for that overview. And you talk a little bit about development. So I want to um, go quickly into um, the BIPOC specific mm-hmm. development in the Winters Group. Um, we, we have our Empowerment Institute that, we're, that we've developed that's specific mm-hmm. for BIPOC leadership. So aspiring yep. leaders or those that are in leadership is specific for BIPOC. And so what are your thoughts on having, and I'm sure you're familiar with all kinds of different leadership yep. development programs and that. So why do you think it's important to have a program specific to BIPOC leadership? And I think you touched on some of this in what you've yeah. already said, but. Yeah, yeah. I, I just think it's, it's critical because we're able to look at how our culture, how our race influences how we show up as a leader, right? I just think that it, it does. It absolutely does. You know, maybe some more so than others. Uh, but whether it's looking at the Latino cultural trade or black culture, and uh, it, it helps to raise awareness to, okay, why am I a bit more uncomfortable talking about myself than other communities? You know, why am I more paternalistic or why don't I like conflict? Whatever the issue may be, uh, it may be just because it's kind of hardwired based on our culture, based on our DNA. But But then it goes into that next part, right? Because then all of these BIPOC programs that look at culture as part of the development experience, take that same approach. Hey, when are these aspects useful for us? And it's a superpower and let's lean into it. 
And then like, hey, we just yeah. need to be aware. We're not saying it's bad, but if we don't speak up, if we don't raise our hand, others are going to view that as us not wanting to, you know, we're, you know, we, we, we don't have aspire to be a leader. So let's, we can choose then if we want to lean in or pull back, but at least then it doesn't become, uh, it becomes more of a conscious choice as opposed to of an unconscious choice. And, 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 you know, I, I don't know if you know this, but, uh, in 2023, Webster uh, came out with their word of the year, and the word of the year was authentic, right? So I was really happy with authentico, right? right. Uh, but, but, but we're all telling people like, hey, you be you, like, you know, don't try to be somebody else. So I think that's where the BIPOC thing fits right in there. Like, hey, we want you to celebrate your BIPOC. You know, we want you to celebrate your culture, your heritage, your race, because I think companies are realizing that if if you like if you're Latino like me, if if you leave that Hispanic stuff at home, mm-hmm. then then we're missing out on that as an employer. Yeah. Right. And like the statistics that you shared earlier, at least here in the United States, you know, the workforce of the future is going to have an increasingly Latino identity, right? It, it's just it just is. Right. Um, so I think the more that companies understand that, the more that our community uh understands that it, it just conveys that our heritage, our race. Our, our ethnicity is is more relevant than ever before, and that's something that you know should serve us well. So, absolutely, hundred percent believer in the importance of BIPOC programs, uh, as well as programs for our, our allies that you know they need to know some of this stuff too. Otherwise, we're just kind of yes. preaching to the choir, so to speak. But you know, they they didn't have these programs. You know, when I started this work, you know, early two thousands, you, you didn't see. Uh, Black, you know, leadership programs or Latino leadership programs. So I'm waiting to see what the next iteration is. Yes. Thank Mm -hmm. you. So before we close out today, I always ask everyone this um, question. And so, as you know, this season is called From Empower to Me Power. So Mary Mm -hmm. Frances Winters, she didn't like empower because empower implies that someone's giving you power, right? Like, Mm -hmm. oh, I'm I'm empowering you, Robert, to do this, right? And so... Like, no, we're going to take our power back. And we, you know, so that's what the me power came sure. from. So just um, wanted to give you an opportunity to share, you know, your uh, me power story that you might have, or in other words, how you hone into that innate power um, within you. Yeah, there's 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 two of them that I'll cover quickly. What One of my me powers is definitely kind of the more data analytics side of me. I, I know I've, I've known you for, you know, 15 years, but... I don't know uh, if you're aware that I'm kind of like a data geek. Like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm really into numbers, statistics. You know, I like making data-driven decisions. I help my clients with that. So for me, that that has been that's that's one of me powers because when I go to clients, I I come with them with stati- statistics. I tell them, right. hey, you know, here here's how you're going to measure your progress. Right? You haven't established a baseline. Here's the data. Like I have that 4C assessment. I have so much data on ERGs that. When companies say, "Well, I don't, I don't, I don't think that's true," I'm like, "Really? <laughs> like, let me show you." <laughs> really? You, oh, you, but you have a gut feeling, right? But here, uh, so that's one of me powers, and, and it's helped me be successful in, in my career and, and whatnot. The, the other me power, this is actually my my wife that helped me hone this. Is you know, when when I met her, you know, she had just graduated from Harvard. I met her in Boston, and I I, I just finished publishing one of my books. So at the reception afterwards, I, I'm walking around like, hey, can I sign your book? Like, you know, she said I was kind of giving out this cocky, arrogant vibe. Uh, so I, uh, and, she, and she caught my eye because she's beautiful. And, and she's like, 
you know you're not all that. I'm like, Excuse me? She's like, well, that's great that you're this, you know, Latino leader and ambassador for our community. But she said, what do you know about Latin American history? I'm like, uh, um, I grew up in Minnesota. Like, all I can right. tell you about Paul Bunyan and the Blue Ox. But she's, so she's so uh, I'll keep the shirt. She's like, well, next time you come to Boston, we're going on a date. Uh, but before you do, I want you to read this book. So she she gave me homework, and the book mm -hmm. was called "The uh, Fiesta de Chivas," about the history of the Trujillo dictatorship in the Dominican Republic. Okay. Well, I learned a lot. I had no idea. She's like, "Great. Next time you come to Boston, we'll go on another day." But I want you to watch this documentary about Fujimori in Peru. So over the years, as we're dating and during our courtship, she helped me get much more deeper knowledge about Latin America and about Eva Perón and Argentina and Pinochet and Chile and you know, Chavez and Maduro and Venezuela. And so it's, it's helped me be a stronger ambassador for our community. But now I've taken that and say, well, I need to more learn about, you know, Asia Pacific. I want to learn more about, you know, so I think having that global mindset uh, and always wanting to learn has been a, a me power that has uh, yeah. served me well. So, so, so that's me. I'm a global data geek, uh, if you will. That's my me powers. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And um, before I close out, is there anything you want to say in closing that maybe I, you had thought you were going to say today and I didn't ask the right questions so you get to say it or just <laughs> anything in general that you want to um, say in closing before I close out? No, I, I just want to double down that, you know, I, I, I threw off this comment earlier, but yeah, I, I do agree that uh, it's much more important uh, for all of us to be allies. So yeah, we, you know, those of us who have been historically underrepresented, I, I don't think we can overcome the headwinds that we face without the support of allies, but we can also be stronger allies to others, right? And, and uh, there's definitely do's and don'ts when it comes to allyship, but focus on that verb part, like how mm -hmm. are others feeling your advocacy? Who are you, you know, supporting? Uh, are you doing the work to be an ally? You can't just sit back and say, okay, I'm an ally, educate me, right? You know, um, yeah, that's that's the part that, you know, I, I think, you know, with regards to a me power, if you can be a kick-ass ally, mm. you know, that's huge because not only supports you, but it supports BIPOC communities and all historically underrepresented groups. So, yeah, that's my that's my closing thought of the day, you know, allyship as a verb, not a noun. I love it. I love it. I love it. That's a quotable for the team to when yeah. we promote this, Dr. Rodriguez. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, this has been a fun conversation and I've learned a lot from you as well. And so I thank you for joining me and um, for our listeners. It's a wrap for this episode of From Empower to Me Power. Join me next time as we further explore the differences that make a difference when it comes to BIPOC leaders. And so until next time, stay me powered. Thank you. Thank you very much. See you all.